1: If you enjoy listening to Chorology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create chorology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep chorology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making chorology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 56, and y'all, this is a special week because there's not one, uh, but two episodes of Quirology releasing. Uh, The first is this episode, a regular episode, well, it's not so regular, Uh, it's recorded live uh, from Spirit Pride Vancouver a couple weeks ago, a panel discussion on spiritual gifts uh, with Jennifer Knapp, Michelle Douglas, Tyler Allen Jacobs, and Beth Carlson Molina. Uh, The second is a bonus episode, which is my keynote from that same conference. Uh, So you'll hear that reference a couple times in this panel. If you want to listen to it, just pop over to the other episode. Uh, That's there for you, too. Uh, This is a long-form episode. I I decided instead of kind of splitting it up into a couple episodes that y'all could decide how you want to listen to it. Uh, So take a break or listen to it all the way through. That's up to you. Uh, I'm just going to introduce the panelists really quickly because it is a little bit of a long episode, uh, and then we will dive right in. Uh, So first, Tyler Allen Jacobs is a First Nations two-spirit activist and Salish warrior, representing the ways of the LGBTQ2 plus and the Squamish nation. He was born and raised Coast Salish. Uh, He is also a designer, making traditional clothing and regalias for the past 12 years. And although he's now a sought-out teacher, speaker, and healer, it wasn't always that way. Uh, Shortly after coming out uh, when he was a kid, uh, he was beaten so severely that his face required $30,000 of reconstructive surgery, uh, still leaving visible scars. Uh, Historically, uh, individuals with cross-gender identity, like Tyler, uh, were revered in First Nation cultures. Uh, They're looked to as leaders and visionaries and healers. Uh, They embody both uh, masculine and feminine traits, uh, and two-spirit people were thought to be blessed with the ability to move between gender roles uh, and given uh, important spiritual responsibilities as a result. Uh, And so Tyler has embraced this heritage, uh, and he says his history has made him who he is today. Uh, The person you'll hear speak second uh, is Michelle Douglas. Uh, She's the Director of International Relations at the Canadian Department of Justice and the Chair of the Reconciliation Panel for the Federal LGBTQ2 Apology Project in Canada. Uh, For more than a decade, Michelle has volunteered as the chair of the Board of Directors of WE Charity, an international charity that empowers and inspires young people to create positive and transformative change in their lives and their communities. Her passion for social justice and LGBTQ2 rights in particular has garnered her the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal in 2012 third is Jennifer Knapp. She's back. Uh, she was the first ever person to be on Quirology. Uh, Jennifer is a Grammy-nominated and Dove Award-winning musician, singer, and LGBTQ2 advocate, uh, who's appeared in various interviews with CNN, The Advocate, and Christianity Today. She's the presenter of Inside Out Faith Events, a platform of dialogue and music that seeks to actively engage faith communities in order to educate, affirm, and foster support of lgbtq persons and their allies. And through her music, storytelling, and conversations, Jennifer has discovered the healing that comes from breaking the silence. And then finally, uh, we have Beth Carlson-Molina. She's the Director of Community at Generous Space Ministries in Canada. And after completing her Bachelor of Science in Biology, she moved to Vancouver to study theology at Regent College, where her dual call to pastor and to work alongside marginalized people became clear. Uh, she loves her work at Generous Space Ministries, facilitating connections and understanding between LGBTQ plus Christians, their families, and their churches. And she offers pastoral care to people with diverse perspectives and experiences. Uh, Beth also co-pastors a new Vancouver church startup called Open Way Community Church, a diverse, intergenerational, inclusive community that welcomes everyone. So this is a panel on spiritual gifts. Uh, coming to you recorded live from St. Andrew's Wesley Church in downtown Vancouver at Spirit Pride a couple weekends ago. Let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, so this is, this is also functioning as a live recording of my podcast, Quirology. Uh So we're going to kind of treat it that way. Uh, it will release within the next couple weeks on the podcast. Um, so, so to start, uh, this is a question I ask everyone who comes on my podcast. How do you identify uh, and then, how would you say that your faith or faith in general has helped inform that identity?
2: Ladies
3: first.
4: <laughs> <laughs> One of the ends has to start. Really, the end.
2: Well, I guess I'm half lady, so I'll start. <laughs> so, I identify as a two spirit, and it, I didn't realize until I would say 24 that I fully accepted uh, being two spirit. And what it is, is uh, before pre-contact, it was like a nobleman, a shaman, a warrior. And that's who we were as uh, First Nations people. And that's what I did at And my spirituality, I, um, I believe in a higher power, um, the creator, God. And that's a bit of me. Mm-hmm.
5: I guess I'll jump in since it seems to go this way. <laughs> Beth, you're last, I guess. <laughs> um, listen, I first just want to say how, how nice it is to to be here. Um, what an affirming church, yes, but uh, as my friend uh, Wayne Davis uh, says, it's not just affirming, it's super affirming. Um, and so when you're in a space that's so super affirming, I guess I'll declare that I'm often around my identity less clear, maybe, than, than others. Uh, and, and that goes for spirituality, too. Um, I, I say that from a place of great humility. I, I've kind of popped into faith communities and traditions, and then I've left. Uh, but in the main, I think I'm, I'm guided by principles of spirituality that, that include very, very simple ideas. Uh, probably the most profound for me, uh, is the calling of service. Um, so I was really, Matthias, hearing your words, really hearing what you said. Um, spirit, uh, spirituality is, is difficult for me because I'm often not quite sure where I fit. Yeah. But I know I believe in respect and dignity and find spirituality maybe in those ideas. Um, I'm also deeply driven by the idea of justice and... That just seems so authentic to me. I think in Deuteronomy, we have this idea of pursuit of justice, justice, shall you pursue? And I suppose if there's any compass for me, it's often that. Yeah. Um, I definitely have a queer identity, a lesbian identity as well. So those are layers of the complexity that we all are. Um, but one of the greatest gifts I've been given is um, understanding a little bit more about um, other religions, particularly the Abrahamic faith traditions, um, and to to learn more about that and to be bigger in my thinking or open-mindedness from what I learned as a child, which was very narrow, and uh, often some of the things along the lines that you dis- described uh, this morning, mm-hmm. Um, and so to acknowledge my partner, Nabila, who's really um, very spiritual, but also um, an adherent to Islam and, and following that faith tradition and, and understanding how that has to work as, in partnership um, and learning about that. But if I think at core we start from the place of respect and understanding, tolerance, uh, those things seem pretty authentic to me And uh, I find a lot of comfort in in that place. Uh, But also being able to see those uncertainties here in a super affirming space feels very safe for me, very comfortable. Um, And how welcoming. And I think at rock bottom, how loving. So Mm -hmm. let me stop there and thank you. Mm
4: My name is Jennifer, and the only reason I'm saying that is because it's a podcast. I'm assuming that nobody can see our faces, right. <laughs> so it might just be helpful <laughs> at that point. Um, yeah, so uh, how I identify, uh, kind of easily, if I don't think about it really quick, like what, I w- what do I put on a name tag? I'll put Jennifer, pronouns, she, her, hers. Uh, as far as faith tradition, oh, I would probably mention I'm a lesbian because that's really helpful to people. For some reason, it's fun to just watch people squirm when you say lesbian for... I don't know why. It makes me squirm, which I'll get into that in a second. So, like, yes, I'm in a same-sex relationship. Uh, uh, I, the faith tradition that um, I relate most to is Christianity. So it would be really easy to say, I think what people expect me to say was, how do you identify? Well, I give you my pronouns, and I say, I'm a lesbian Christian. And as soon as I say that, I'm going, act. None of those things are even remotely represent the way that I feel about myself or the way that I identify on a day-to-day basis. I don't get up in the morning and go, lesbian. (laughs) I don't get up in the morning and go, Jesus, or any of these things. I, I take these things for granted so much of the time, which seems remarkable to me since I do advocacy work, since I'm in the public, and since I say deeply about all of these things. But I got to be honest, when I'm sitting at home, like with my hands kind of Al Bundy in my pants, playing PlayStation, I don't think about any of these things. I don't think about how to identify based on my sexual orientation, which I think is oddly strange, because I don't want to tell you something about me because of somebody else, right? I happen to be in love with somebody else who happens to be in my same gender and all of a sudden now this is a point of conversation and that to me actually offends my partner more than it offends me because <laughs> why did they get dragged into this? Like, what did they do wrong? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a really interesting thing. So I, I feel like that's a, allowed, but yet at the same time, I deeply understand that the, the the circumstances of my life while people are watching, it's really helpful to be able to have these these markers of identity that help other people know where they can begin with me. Um, and then when I say that, if I'm lucky enough to have a microphone, I would say you can begin there, but don't write a book about it. <laughs> like this is only the starting place of where we begin to have a conversation. And the same thing I would say about my faith. Um, I t- it's taken me a long time to get to a point when I talk about Christianity, because for me it's just as loaded as sexual orientation and gender. Um, when I say to you, what kind of Christian are you? Like, I have met so many different kinds of Christians. I don't even know what you mean. Like, I'm waiting for code words for you to unpack that before I even be- know how to begin with you. What does that mean with me? So today, what I say about that is I use Christianity as the language. It is the language at which I process my spiritual experience. So that way, when I begin to talk to other Christians, they might understand that especially in the States where Christianity for some people is a very strict theology. It's a you have to believe in these things or you're not. And to not, for me, at times when I don't believe in some of those things, I'm somebody tries to kick me out of a conversation is the only language I have, right? So that's kind of the space that I begin. And I think that has even informed my sexual orientation conversation. This is a language at which I understand the world a little bit. I'm a lesbian, that seems to make sense. Like, I have a same-sex relationship with another wo- pardon me, another woman. I have a relationship with, with Christianity and the Bible and the church, and I understand something of this room. Um, so those are the beginning places for me, and they're really helpful, but are also completely useless some days as well. <laughs> so
6: you're welcome for that. I like that. Uh, my name is Beth Carlson Molina. I uh, identify as a lot of things. I identify as um, an Enneagram 2. is very important. Um, I identify as a Gryffindor. I identify, <laughs> um, I identify as a nerd, which is probably not really surprising now. Um, and I've had this um, kind of advantage of being able to talk about my marriage and my job as ways of identifying me so I don't have to choose other words. So I just say, I'm married to Denise and people assume that there's a certain identity associated with that, and I say I'm a, I'm a pastor. So then there's Christianity is kind of roped in without me having to choose words either. So that, that makes things super convenient for me. Um, I think if I have to choose words, I usually use gay for myself. I'm trying to get more comfortable with queer, not because it was used as a slur in my life, but because I feel like there's like a coolness associated with queer that, I, <laughs> that sometimes I don't feel like I can claim. Um, but I like it as an umbrella term, and I appreciate the nuance that you brought to that this morning, um, Matthias. I also have a complicated relationship with um, the words Baptist and evangelical as part of my heritage and as words that I sometimes claim and sometimes don't and, and don't want to totally get away from because I feel like they've shaped me and there's been gifts in those communities, but I also recognize some harms in some ways that those communities have harmed me. So um, I have a complicated identity with those words as well. Um, I think I I see myself as a bridge builder. I think all of us who claim these multiple identities have to be able to build bridges between them because for some people they're oxymorons. So, um, So I think with my faith, it's been Something that's informed all of those other identities, but has also tried to tear me away from some of those identities or made it hard for me to claim them. So, um, yeah, my faith has been the thing that keeps me going, the thing that makes me realize that I am beloved and that I am a child of God no matter what. And that's, I think, the most important core identity. And I love what you said about identity being a starting place, like a place to begin. This part of my nerd dumb is that I'm a bird watcher. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a twitcher. So am I. I'm a twitcher. Yes. <laughs> yes. High five, nerd. Yes. There you go. Okay. So, um, so in bird watching, you're always trying to identify birds. I also try to identify plants. These are parts of myself that I'm saying in front of a lot of people. Apparently, right now. Um, <laughs> But you're trying to figure out what the bird is. But once you figure out sort of the species, the type, there's like all of this variety that you can see in that particular bird, right? Like you can hear a song that all these birds... Yeah, of course, yeah. (laughs) Jennifer's (laughs) nodding. So I think that there's this sort of generality to labels, but there can also be this particularity. And if we just use them as stereotypes, if we use them as like, oh, you're gay, so I can kind of understand who you are just from that word. um, We we miss that sort of uniqueness and that particularity. So I'm going to hold on to that place to begin. I like that. I'm going to nerd out for a second here. Like as a twitcher, like one of the things you do is you
4: go, as a bird watcher, you go through these and you're looking for one of the most minute bits of detail off of an animal's after, after, off of a bird, like where's that little speck of black on the beak where it's supposed to be, or what is a particular behavior that you're looking at? That bird should be in this tree doing this thing at this time, (laughs) not what it's doing now. (laughs) And it can really throw you for a loop because you kind of go, Oh, this is, I swear that's supposed to be, you know, a tufted titmouse. But that tufted titmouse tit is totally not where it's supposed to be. It's not the color it's supposed to be. Is it, what is wrong with this tufted titmouse? And I just like Say saying that because I knew it would really make you guys weird but that's kind of one of the things and you, even like all the things that you do to identify and kind of categorize these birds that help you kind of know the way of the land and enjoy the beauty of them you get these remarkable days where they're not doing anything that they're supposed to do by the book they're not, they're maybe a little bit off color or they're, you know a spots yeah. in a different place and I, I sometimes wonder when I'm out in the middle of the bush going, wow, does that tufted titmouse know, like does that tufted titmouse feel insecure because he's more of a ground bird <laughs> than a tree bird compared to the other tufted titmouses. Like, what have I done wrong here? Because that guy looks pretty chill, and I need to learn to be, like, that tufted titmouse. So. We're taking over the podcast
6: right. Is bird watching you know, sorry. It's bird-watching
4: them.
1: I'm sorry. We can name it Birdology, and it's going to be great. Do you be try good, it. Can Get a, a good
6: can a a segue up? from there. Have a totally. Good, uh, transition.
1: Um, yeah. I'm going to do a hard transition, so it'll be... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so the theme of kind of what we're talking about today and the theme of this, this whole spirituality conference is spiritual giftings. Uh, and, and something that I didn't talk about in my talk, but w- one of my favorite researchers is Brene Brown. Uh, and she defines spirituality as the awareness that we are all connected uh, and that there's something that connects us. Uh, so it's a very broad definition. But, but kind of using that definition of than spiritual gifts, we could maybe frame it as the gifts which connect us. Um, I'd, be, I'd be curious, maybe to start, what kind of thoughts does that bring up in you all? Uh, where does that make your mind go? Uh, when, when we think about this idea of spiritual gifts, uh, and then our particularity within our own faith traditions, within our, our sexual and gender expressions, um, where where do you go with that?
5: I got to jump in. I listen. I I, I don't know if I've, I I would ever frame it that way, but I want to take it kind of in the way I live my life from a place of me to a place of we, um, and I find that just kind of that's the connection for me. And looking for all kinds of like ways. Although I have to say that as I'm hearing, you know, the conversation about bird watching, I'm like. But I really love airplanes, but but they fly too, so maybe I can be part of that, right? But anyway, uh, but I was stretching on that.
4: But but I, I don't do... think so. I think the sequitur See? has to be made. See, like, go okay. for it.
5: Okay, so I'm I'm there. Um, but uh, yeah, for me and uh, trying to find community, you no, know, like in unconventional ways looking from me to we. I wear it on my bracelet. I try to kind of live that as a philosophy because I find it super compelling. And who really wants to do any of what we do alone? So looking for community deliberately, like in ways and connections, I'm like, actually, I love nerds so much and relate. So, but it's only a way because... I think nerds are super cool and I want to be part of that like club. So club is more, you know, code word for me for we. And so it's just like connecting, right? Like looking for unconventional ways. I don't know that there's much more to it, but it does take you out of a place of being selfish. I think if you're really deliberate in looking for it, even though sometimes I am selfish, I'll admit it because well, hashtag human. But that's okay. Um, We're always challenging. So that's that's my space. Love the we. And that's why I love being up here. And it's really cool.
4: I can keep going. (laughs) Well, I... I will say
1: I'm a a therapist. What I was thinking about when when you were
4: talking about we, like, that universal kind of collapse that we have to a communal space, right? And not just the deep drive to not be alone, but the deep drive to actually participate with other people. And as an introvert, I can tell you, I'm shocked every time I say, people are good. Um, But the the idea... I was actually thinking about branding. (laughs) Strangely, it relates. Um, Because... The, the thing I get concerned about in gifts, right, is that you have a different one than me. I have a different one than you. And yet, in that, in that kind of drive that we have to feel like a part of, of a collective, we start sometimes comparing our gifts to somebody else. So, you, even in the same way, you're like, well, I like things that fly too. Well, it doesn't fit the same way. And so we would start writing ourselves off because we've got into a space of society where the brand, we're kind of getting trained to like want and to celebrate one thing more or is better than the other. I could tell you honestly, I could spend a couple of hours hanging out with truckers talking about the interstate system and trucking. just as much as I could about bird watching, as twitching, you know, as twitching as, as music and creativity. What I'm wanting to do is get to find a thing about that that makes us tick. And again, kind of what you were saying is that spiritual connection to that. What are the things that we have inside of those areas that we're all actually giving to that collective? And, and that's where it kind of circles back to around to like the weird kind of challenge that we're faced with the we part of us is that we kind of we want to be together and part of the backside of that our wanting to be together is we all want to be together because we're invited and we're all welcome one of the best way to be welcome is that we all look like each other and that we're all doing the right thing or the cool thing all of a sudden you know we have to realize that in that space it becomes really hard to brand any one of us any one thing. And that's, that's kind of the, I don't know, it's kind of the weird social commentary that I have inside of this space that even when we're at an LGBTQ affirming conference, all of a sudden somebody out there sees the branding on that. They think, oh, it's all done and dusted. It's all good. Or that when you walk in here that we're all on the same page and some of us probably aren't, I can probably piss some of you off pretty quick with a couple of comments that I don't want to make, but we're still here kind of sharing in that we part of that. And so I think that for me is one of the things that I'm always kind of on the backside saying, yeah, how, does, how do we actually keep generating we, keep connecting to that spiritual stuff with a realization that, like, even for me, like, how do I keep from collapsing in and saying that my gifts aren't valuable? That's what I do. That's what I end up disparaging myself. I go, oh, I'm not like everybody else. I try to be like everybody else. And when I'm not, I'm the problem. And I don't want to feel like the problem, so then I conform to something and I lose some part of me that is now not being brought into the community who needed me to do that in the first place. So it's one of the one of the challenges, I think, that's in that space when we talk about gifts, that, that we're always kind of trying to do that we thing. It's really terrifying.
6: <laughs> I think also, when I think about community and queerness and spiritual gifts, I think about the queer community having this gift of chosen family, that that's... Um, for a lot of us who, who haven't had good reactions from our families or who've lost people through the coming out process, um, we've had to rely on one another for um, connection, for community, for that family experience. So I think um, that's a gift that we actually bring to the church because the church is also this community of people that God is grafting. And it's not just by blood. Like ever since Jesus kind of stirred things up and made it not just about Israel, it's it's about everybody coming together. And so as queer people who value this um, this community that's not by bloodline, but by grafting and adopting and finding family. I think we give that gift back to the church of saying, this is how this happens. When we need each other like this, like we don't have family to rely on, so we have to come together. We can show the church how to be that for one another as well. So I think that's a gift we bring. Um, it's kind of that... Um, I think it was Andrew Solomon who wrote Far From the Tree, he talks about these communities of people who have things that aren't in common with their parents, so they're not plas- passed along genetically. So things like disability, things like um, autism, things like t- being trans, being gay, and how we form our own communities around those things. And that's, and that's a different way of doing it than most of us are used to with race or with culture where things are passed down. But I also think there's great gifts around community that come through culture. And I, I was just thinking about Tyler and how um, I've learned a lot about adoption and about welcome from First Nations communities in Vancouver. And so I'd be super eager to hear your take on community and what you've learned um, through that stuff. Yeah.
2: Back to me. <laughs> okay, well, spiritual gifts to me, um, it seems different, like being First Nations Aboriginal um and especially being two spirited gifts to me, like is something that like i I wear on my heart, like my sleeve, and especially like this shirt I'm wearing today. This is a gift. The creator blessed me with special abilities to do wonderful sewing, bead work. It's not just from being First Nations like I was I could braid hair, I could sing, I could dance, like, I could go on, but that's not what it's about, it's about the gifts that I received, and it's the fact that I honored these gifts, I accepted them, another gift is breathing, living life, and it's, like, I give thanks every day when I wake up, I say, thank you, I'm still here, and one of the gifts that I decided was to keep moving forward, I went through a lot, like, in, believe it or not, in my own community, like, it was hard growing up with racism, homophobia, I went on the struggle with both sides. Dealing with it was emotional, heartbreaking. But no, I didn't let that attack me. I didn't let it upset me. I didn't let it bother me. I kept my head up. I was, like, pushed around by people in my community, gay bash, stabbed, run over by a car. All these things never affected me is because the fact I accepted the gift of life and keep on living, move forward every day, and always give thanks. And community is huge to me. Um, it took a long time, like to move stones and bricks in my, our community. Um, I come from the Squamish Nation, and it's a reserve of, I would say, 300 people, but we, our nation is 6,500 strong, and we have 17 reserves, and I just live on Keppilano. So that's just a part of the community, and I had to leave that community for the other community because I felt I wasn't safe or I wanted to do more. I did enough in that community that I'd branch out, so I left my native community for the LGBTQ2S community and to me, community is heart, home, family. It uh, doesn't matter what color your skin is. doesn't matter what size you are or what clothing you're going to wear. It, community is love for one another. And you always got to remember that. And so that's, I don't want to keep going too long here, but <laughs> that's what community means to me. And spirituality is very strong. And I wanted a spiritual cleanse, um, 2011 to realize where I'm going with my life. Like, I was headed down the wrong path. So, it's just like this walkway right now. It's as the, the natives call it, the red road. So, I decided to walk on it. Yeah, sure, I stumble. No one's perfect. And it's up to you to decide to take that step back on the right road. And I believe, like, the higher power bestowed this on me for a certain reason is because of the gifts that I have.
1: You're talking about accepting the gifts that you have. Um, and I think, I would imagine, I know for me, like for each of us that has been a journey uh, to learn, to, to actually see gifts within ourselves, um, to accept those, to, to learn to celebrate those. Um, I mean, I'd be curious about what that process has kind of been like for each of you, learning to see the giftings within ourselves, accepting those, learning how to use them in the world. Um, what was that process like?
2: I, I can say that when it took me a long time to accept all of those gifts, like I, like I said, I went through all these struggles and things, and I didn't let all those define who I was. And I, I was actually on So You Thinking Dance Canada, and that was one of the things that gave me my confidence back, and that was accepting the gift that I could dance. And then Sadly, I was run over by a car, and then I was told I was never gonna be able to dance again, but it was the fact that I believed in the higher power and the creator, because it's back to accepting those gifts. I believed in, I was, so I went to ceremonies, and so that's what I did to accept these gifts. I didn't just accept them, I worked hard for them. I went to sweat lodges, gatherings, ceremonies, rituals that like, were, haven't been practiced in over 80 years, and it's because I accepted, being First Nations, I accepted being Two-Spirited, so it took me a long time to earn and earn all of these, and that's why I say earning it because I earned it. And then when I earned it, I gladly accepted it. And so I wear just like I want to be relevant with the, what they were saying earlier with the birds. Like I'm wearing a bird on my shirt today because I was like, oh, what am I gonna do? like? Uh, being Two-Spirited, I was like, oh. A part of a gift is like, oh, you're masculine, you're feminine. Today I was like, you know what, I'm gonna gender fuck them everybody. I'm like, is that a guy or a girl? Like, like I, I love doing that. And that's one of my gifts is gender fuck mind fucking people. And sorry, excuse my language. <laughs> but I don't let that upset me. Like, yeah, people are like, oh my God. I'm like oh, no. I'm like I keep my head up and I walk high. and I'm like, yeah. And then it took me a long time to shut my mouth because I'm a strong warrior, and it got me in a lot of trouble though. <laughs> but now it comes to time, time, day, and age. It's 2018. I'm not even going to waste my breath on those people that can't even accept themselves.
4: I I love the concept of gift. Well, most of the time, like for me and the gifts that I have, like I love music. I think that's a pretty obvious one. Everybody says, Oh, you're so gifted. And I go, shut up. It's not a gift. Um, (laughs) it's, it's such a weird relationship because I I love music and if nobody's watching, I'll still do it. Um, at the same time, it's a whole other thing to think about what you do when you present those gifts or you share those gifts. I mean, right. Do you dance alone? I'm sure you do. Um, but it's a different scenario, right, when you decide what to do with that thing because it seems somehow incomplete if you just have that gift and you don't enter it into the community. So for me, I've often felt like for a long time, I felt like that was a burden um between like for the years I had as an artist and I'd been doing that work um, as a CC, as a com- contemporary Christian music artist and then I quit all that and then I realized that I, I really missed doing music and I wanted to go back and do that and then I was really terrified of what that meant with my sexual orientation kind of being a fact like was I going to have to disclose that what was that going to be or whatever but I felt like those two things combined were like a burden that was on me like it's a weird thing about a gift is it's kind of something that you have it's yours and you have a choice then to kind of to polish that and to accept it I suppose and then work on it right because then it becomes something that you it's not just something about you it's something that's cultivated it's 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 stronger it's it's useful it's meaningful it's not just sitting there like how many gifts have you gotten for Christmas that you just go eh? just sitting there okay right? but can I
5: ask I, I got a question about this so do you do you see those gifts though as in inherently God-given like does that is that a place that you relate to I, I just that's, really pr- that's personally probably strugg- not a
4: language I would use okay but so I, I, I just think a lot of other it, people so I would. wonder
5: yeah okay so I can- think many
4: people would say this is a gift from God um I have wrestled with that, like Jacob at the foot of the ladder or whatever. I mean, like this, I don't want this shit, take it away. Because there's an obligation for me, like in that narrative, I will say that there's an obligation. You either let it collect dust on a shelf and it sits there staring at you like a diet plan you're not doing, right? <laughs> like, what are you going to do with this thing? And so I've had like a really tension-filled thing where it's, it's for me, it's been a pendulum swing as whether or not the way that I'm gifted is a burden. And I think sometimes that's the way I would probably more relate sometimes to the, where I hear people talking about their sexual orientation as a gift inside of community. Like it is just the way that it is with me and what do I do with it? And how do, how do I make this meaningful inside of other people besides just my room here and just besides my intimate relationships? And so I, for me, it's like, uh, it does take cultivating. It t- it takes recognizing of that. And that's a language I think that's really helpful in this room. I think we often use most of us understand accepting our gift. But I love what you're saying, Tyra. There's a point at the accepting of that gift, you begin to cultivate it and you begin to embrace it in a way that says, it could be this in its state and it's sufficient. But then when I turn to it and begin to work with it and get better at it or invest in it and let it be. It's weird. It's you, you start to realize how deeply it's grafted into you mm-hmm. and how much it may be some part of you that has it's a strange paradox. You help it, you water it, you make it grow and you realize you are not getting rid of this thing, no matter how hard you try. Like it has strangely nothing to do with you. And that's where it becomes this kind of divine thing that even though I struggle with a language, I go, I don't want to use that language. Like, it's still there. And I had nothing to do with it. But what I did say was, I you know, what you can do is acknowledge that and step into that. And I think it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. It it gives you something that you didn't even know that you had. And then all of a sudden, then we revert back to this language of a gift, right? Yeah. Like, I worked really hard on this skill. I worked really hard on this. I'm educating, you know, we're up here because we're in some way educated about the experience and really have invested in our willingness to be able to talk about it in a public space. But remember the first time somebody asked you to sit on a panel? Like, I didn't want to do it. I thought you were rude for asking me. And I thought you were rude. Every one of the, um, maybe you guys had different experiences, but it was really shocking experience. But to realize that you can do that then is a cultivated thing that you realize it was in you all along before you ever even knew it.
6: Yeah. I think there's also a place just for, at least for me, I respond really well to words of encouragement from other people. Like, I need other people to tell me that this is a gift they see in me and that this is something that they think I should cultivate, like you're saying. Um, so for me, I think within the queer community and outside, the role of mentorship, the role of having people who've walked that path in front of you and can step back and be like, oh, I see you coming up behind me and I want to encourage you and pull you along. Like, for me, I don't think I would have become a pastor if my wife hadn't called out the gifting in me of that, seen that in me. And now... Um, working as a co-pastor with this uh, straight old guy over here who's amazing. <laughs> I mean, without the partnership that we have, I don't think I would be able to step into that gifting too. And for queer people who are gifted for ministry work, which again, we can get into what part of that is gift and what part of that is call and all of that stuff. But often it takes the ability to say, I'm going to do this even if my church says I can't do this. Like I'm going to go like what Peter Morin would often say is like plant a new world in the shell of the old. You know, I'm not going to wait for someone in my church to be like, "Oh, you can preach now" or "Oh, you can, you know, do the PowerPoint" cuz some people get banned from doing that at their churches when they come out. Instead, going out and starting something new and saying, "We can do this. Like we we are gifted people and we can create new communities. We can create welcoming and inclusive spaces." And that's obviously way more easy to say than to do because I'm in the middle of that right now doing this open way church and trying to figure out how to do a startup but it's been exciting at the same time to be able to start something that we believe in instead of just railing against the thing that we're upset about.
5: Yeah I I love that idea too because I really relate to to what you've said and um, for gifts I I think it is a matter of kind of experience and, and acknowledging it starting to get comfortable with what you turn out to be pretty good at and leaning in, in the space of, of, of that. So I love that concept of lean in. Of course, we know Sheryl Sandberg wrote that book about it, but something about that talked to me and I said, Oh, I think I lean in sometimes even when it's hard and I'm probably not great at it, but I'm getting better. And there's, there's space there for me. And I'm going to take it because I want to play on these issues, and I don't mean to to, to be to use the word play, but I want uh, I want to participate. That's a way better word for me. So I want to participate in these issues. I want to want to lean in more and find me, finding spaces of affirmation. Uh, that's why I come to a place like this because I'm not sure. I'm still leaning in a little bit and finding comfort there, and validation, right? Like you're affirming, you're saying, okay, that's you've got something there, go with that. So then that's validation for our gifts, and it makes us feel better. And I think spirituality is like that too. So even when I'm uncertain, sometimes I'm like, actually there's something that works there for me, because that is a dividend when I'm even more open than I'm probably comfortable doing. Hearing you saying things that I'm totally relating to, too, just about kind of also risking a reaction from somebody else that you're totally fine with no matter what you hear. Like, yeah, okay, so it took me to my mid-50s to get there. But I think I'm closer, right? So, okay, so you've gotten there before me, but I'm learning from you, so that's cool. (laughs)
1: I love it. Yeah. So, so you're talking about leaning in. And I feel like that's, that in a way is almost a common theme, uh, kind of all of these answers of like leaning in, claiming them, saying, this is mine. I don't care how people respond. Like, I'm doing this. Um, and, and I'm curious because I, I would imagine there might be some people in this room, uh, and I know there are a lot of people who, who listen to this podcast, uh, who are in spaces where they can't lean in like where they're the only person that they know of, uh, in their community who's queer or who's coming to terms with that. When we talk about people who are just beginning this process or who don't have communities where they can even practice leaning into because it's so dangerous, what would you say to them when we talk about this idea of, Of gifting, or leaning in, or 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 that kind of thing. Like, do you have things that you would say to people who are in much different spaces than we are in this room, in this church, right now, where we can do that?
2: Sometimes you just have to jump in, Mm. and like, if you can't lean in, like, don't be afraid. People already like people know. Like, regardless, if you're trying to hide it behind clothing, behind a frown, behind anything people know your sexuality and there's no reason to label yourself i can i personally don't like labels but i do accepting uh being two-spirited and it's like along with accepting being two-spirited everyone else seen it before me so don't be afraid uh do a cartwheel do a backflip. you can moonwalk in um there's a lot of different support systems out there that help people. Uh, it took me a long time to to see that. There's great resources out there, and and people will even just smile at you, and that could be the first step of your lean. And then, like, next, you know, it could be a handshake. And when you get more and more comfortable, next thing you're hugging people. And then after the hug, and then you find friends, and from friends you find resources, and then you start networking. So it takes little steps and stones, but it's up to you, like, all about the accepting... And so the first thing is to accept yourself, and then everyone else will accept you.
5: I, I think the idea of kind of pursuing a personal courage is really important. Um, at times in my own journey, and I'll be talking about it a little bit this afternoon, I really did not feel very courageous. But it's a one kind of sentiment or kind of idea that for me really resonates um, for, for the very people that you've just described, those who feel endangered, those who feel uncertain um, that there is risk, that there is, still is a moment for personal courage, and that is such a wide swath. I'm not defining it for anybody, but if that's confiding in the one safe person you feel you can tell, then that's a moment of courage. And everyone here has an opportunity to look for a moment of personal courage that can be in a workplace. Just when it's not easy, there can be that moment for you. And I I think that's what changed probably my whole life was when I had a yes or no moment. And that may be the one kind of spiritual moment that I look to to say, my God, I had no idea which way I was going to go. But thankfully... I took an option for personal courage and I would encourage people to do that because I think it's really very powerful and also I'm I'm just going to speak in the Canadian context although appreciating that the audience hearing this is much broader than that but in Canada we have those protections and that you've got to seek them out there are allies they're in this room they're in your communities for sure So use your personal courage. Seek them out. Be deliberate. Thankfully, we have the internet. Thankfully, we have um, great, great champions. We've got... And don't always just look for maybe someone older or more senior to you. Think of inspired youth. Like, they're unbelievable. And they're just guiding me all the time, which I love, because it helps helps me be more courageous. So just... I think there's a way for people to get to that place that we kind of maybe even at times glibly say it gets better. But if we can help them be courageous, there's something magical about it, or you might even say spiritual.
6: Yesterday, um, we had a bit of like a meet and greet with Jennifer. And I think you said... In the queer community, generations happen almost every like five years, maybe even shorter, like two or three years because things change so quickly. And so when someone's coming out today, it's so much different than even someone coming out two or three years ago or five years ago. Um, but I agree that the internet is such a gift for people coming out today. Like, You can actually find people who get it, who don't live close to you, but and you can do it confidentially in a lot of cases as well. I mean, cyberbullying is a thing. The internet's not always a gift for queer people, but... I also think that to be able to find that safe community, even if they're not right with you, that's a big part of my work with generous space is trying to create these networks across the country of folks who can hold you because you can't do it by yourself. Like If you're completely alone, the closet probably is the safest place for you. Sometimes you have to wait for that community to come around you and be like a net underneath you so that when you do come out and if you do face some rejection and exclusion, you have that safety net to fall back on. So I think, yeah, creating community in whatever way you can And remembering that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you can't change the amount that God loves you. Like, that's just not going to happen. That's something I had to come back to over and over. I was coming out about the same time Jennifer's coming out publicly, so I was kind of watching, being like, oh, no. (laughs) But coming back to that idea that I am the beloved of God, no matter what anyone says, no matter how anyone reacts to my coming out today, God loves me. Nothing's going to change that. So that's my cornerstone that I come back to.
4: I, I can comment here. I was just trying to be nice to everyone. Um. Hey. I, I'm fascinated by... I, I want to go back to... For me, I want to go back to branding, especially because of what you just said. You're, you know, you were having a parallel experience with somebody who doesn't actually exist, by the way. I mean, I I think I have a... Po- I came out in 2010. I, I made a joke earlier that you should all try it put out a press release about what you want to declare about your sexual orientation and let everybody comment on it. It's... It's ridiculous and it's stupid, but imagine maybe if we lived in a world where that's what happened when you were 18. Like, in my hometown, when everyone was 18, all the girls had, like, their engagement, po- you know, the, my little hometown newspaper. Like, Sally Joe's getting married, and, you know, and then it'd be the engagement photo. And so it's, it's, like, kind of the equivalent. Imagine, like, Jennifer's graduated from college, and yes, she does like girls. Like, we finally all know. If, if that was part of it, but it's not, right? Instead, it was kind of the, the opposite experience. But I, I just say that in that, like, I get credit sometimes for doing something incredibly brave that shouldn't, I, I would say isn't credit for doing something incredibly brave. And it's, it's not as actually on the surface of what reality is really like for most people. Like, you're like, you're saying, oh, wow. I, and I've heard this so many times. Oh, I was coming out at the same time that you were. And so there's like this parallel, uh, media track that you can kind of, kind of map your experience with. And, but I was a, in Nashville, like at home crying, yeah. like I'm going on Larry King. I'm made up. I look really good. I wanted to tell <laughs> this guy behind the scenes, fuck you because they're like seven or eight people around and I've got my moxie up. But I, I'm a, I get done with that and I'm in a car driving to my gig shaking yeah. and pale and alone mm. and a real life human being go, how did this become my life? Like, how did this thing, it's not real. And so I I say that as a word of caution because I I think there is a branding. We've succeeded really well in the last 20 years as the LGBTQ community at branding ourselves as vibrant, as as meaningful, as successful, and saying, improving the fact that it does get better. And then I'm telling you, I go to a small town where a kid is still being told by their parents that we're going to set you on fire. We're going to light you with gasoline because it's better you to burn in hell than for you to come out and be gay, and so it's a really hard situation to be in to say, "Wow, I'm failing my LGBTQ community because I'm not as brave or I'm not as courageous," and all of those things kind of muddled up in there. And the very subtle things—I love what you're saying—is the subtle moves of courage get lost in the media and the branding and the the bravado that we can collectively bring together is still an intimate, amazing, fragile moment that happen in the today I'm just saying the one thing and nobody else knows the seismic shift it takes for you to go I am and say the next thing like to me those are the, the seismic moves of courage that no one will ever notice for you and they don't you may not even realize that that one day and that one moment where you say today I am and you fill in that you write it in with pen you it's not I am question mark, you write it in with pen on that day and you, and you say it and maybe nobody notices, but 20 years from now you're sitting in a space, you're a mentor, you may be a 25 year old mentor of somebody who's 50 years old, but it, like all of these things are, are the muddled up things that I think that we do with branding. We think, oh, a 50, you know, a 25 year old can't mentor or 50 year old, you should know something cause you're in your fifties. And I'm like, oh my God, you're a hot mess. And <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I'm in my forties. I'm going, I'm a hot mess. I don't know anything. Like the, the, that's all to say. I really appreciate these subtle moments of that and, and realizing that between the bravado and the collective unity that we bring and the power of that, there are also these just so momentous occasion that no, one, like, does a tree fall in a forest when you say, I am? And to, and to, to go back to that point and go, that is a gift. At that very moment, I would champion that every day of the week to be able to say I am and to know the truth of that somehow, to believe in the truth of that and to not compare that somewhere else. I mean, that's incremental. You keep practicing I am, I am, I am, I am until you're like, I am. What's your problem with that? (laughs) <laughs> and it, it it takes muscle. It takes repetition. It takes dancing over and over again. That gift to me, it, that's the gift of you. Whoever you are, however you say I am. Yeah. What if, that's the gift. It, it takes practice. It's strangely given, but you do it more and more, and all of a sudden you're buff. You have great legs, by the way. I don't mean to objectify you. you. Like, I'm, I'm just jealous because I am so hot, and I don't dance. I lift 210. But, I mean, that takes work. Like, I could have great legs, too, if I moved around and did something besides eat potato chips. But, Anyway, so sorry, but I, I mean, I just, it's those lovely incremental moments that, that you were, you were talking about, those little m- micro moments of courage. And I, I think we, because of that branding, because of our society, because we can do banners and walk around in our tidy whities that, you know, that we think that courage is, comes with a capital C and that we think it comes with fireworks. Instead, we don't realize it's a really quiet place sometimes and just putting that little boundary out there that says, I am.
6: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so i'm i'm used to having a clock right in front of me when i'm doing this um and i don't uh, so i'm i'm curious because i want to open at some point open up for q and a uh and my internal clock is telling me that we're we're close to to doing that okay 10 12 minutes okay cool um so so these incremental steps uh these these moments of courage um I would love to hear maybe some stories from each of you of what maybe those small moments of courage were
2: for you in your own lives. What does that look like in your stories? I definitely would say mine were not small. <laughs> I had uh, big courageous moments, like I, like I said earlier, I went on the dance show. Like I was dancing for many years. I the the little courage was for me to. Go on that show and then it helped me gain confidence. And they're like, Oh no, sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. So I ended up going back for a second season. I lost weight for the show. I worked out as hard as I could. And then I made it to the second round. I went to Toronto and I was like, Oh my God, these people are so fit. They're dancing like crazy. They're like, Oh, you got to get some training. So I did. I went to dance. I'm like, You know what? This is not cheap. I'm like, so I, all this helped me get more and more courageous and more perseverance, more strength, more guidance to what I wanted to do. And it wasn't just the dancing. So after that, I was in Toronto and I was like, oh my God, I got to keep up with these people. So I went out for a jog and I'm out jogging and then I ended up getting hit by the car. And then, oh, you're going back home. Like we're flying you back home. And I'm like, and then I was like, well, what am I going to do? I know how to do more than just dance. I'm a fashion designer. So I started leaning into that. And I didn't just lean. I jumped right in. I went on to practice again with moving my legs so I can dance again. In the meanwhile, I was sewing. And then when I was sewing, I ended up working with Cirque du Soleil Totem, designed for them when they were here in Vancouver. And it was just crazy like because of the little perseverance and strength that I had for my dreams and goals, and it wasn't just my dreams and goals, it was the gifts that were bestowed on me, and it was up to me what I wanted to do with them, and I used them in a big way, and I actually choreographed for Nelly Furtado after I had a hurt leg, and that's because of the strength that I had to do what I wanted to do, and that was a big part of my story, was just being strong and just don't be afraid.
4: A moment for me that, that stands out in the last eight years and particularly because of my willingness to, to take on the conversation of LGBTQ advocacy because I don't think it's a given just because you have a microphone. So I'm going to pair two things. One is when I first came out, I was doing an interview and a guy said to me in an interview, I don't, it's fine that you're gay. I, we're just afraid that you're all going to turn into an activist. Like, because apparently that's what happens when you have a microphone is that you, and you come out. Um, which actually isn't true. Not every artist or every public figure who's an av- you know who is is gay or queer or whatever comes out and and makes this their job. Um, I did choose to do that. With um, a few years later, I just said yes to being in a church and and speaking at a church. Um, and I was actually in Lynchburg, Tennessee, which is the place uh, the home of Liberty University. I don't know. Does that have a familiarity to you You and Jerry Falwell and, of course, hurricanes and stuff that we've all started over the years? Um, (laughs) It's amazing the power I have. Uh, So it was a a national coming out day, and this particular church in the neighborhood was having uh, a blessing service that was inclusive of the LGBTQ community. I was there playing as well. And there were some Liberty University students who came over kind of like in a kind of like, I don't know if I'd want to... They were just kind of on the DL. You could tell they were trying not to be noticed kind of people. And they would come up to me and they were talking to me about how it was was a real step for them to be able to even walk in and be around a known public gay event because if it got back to the university, they could get demerits at their school. Um, If anyone even... Like, whether they were gay or not, if they were at this particular thing, apparently the university had said, if you go to that event... Uh, you will get in trouble, and you are going to be pe- penalized as a student by the university for taking that action. And they said, you know, a Jennifer Knapp concert. And I was just like, what? Like, that? Like I was pissed. Like, just as a person, like, that was really weird. But that day, and I'm, prior to that, I kept saying, prior to that, I was saying I'm a person of faith, and anytime I would talk in the press, in the media, I would, I would say I'm a person of faith, because I didn't quite know how I wanted to relate to Christianity at all. Um, but having had that experience, I, I realized, one, I was slowly becoming an advocate in some way that I was willing and I was able and had the gift of being able to take being a person in this position of pressure and tension on behalf of somebody else, That mm-hmm. it was like a light bulb day for me when the, the students came in and said they were going to be punished for their being there, and I was like, well, this is bullshit, so I grabbed a, a camera and went over to Liberty and I realized that I wouldn't... Like, I would realize actually, I was really afraid of Liberty University. Yeah. Like, as an individual, I was like, whatever. So I went over to Liberty University, a place that I had played to thousands of people, to screaming fans, you know, at that university. And now, like, not only was I not welcome on that campus as the person that I was, but the students that were there weren't invited to even like me as a human being. And I was like, well, that's not cool, because I'm awesome. So I went... I went over there and I filmed this video, and for the first time on a camera, I claimed my faith it was It was an act of rebellion, like with Liberty University in the back, and you would have thought that I was robbing a bank i mean I'm sweating, I'm getting out of the car like this is some amazing covert mission. The groundskeeper, like, "What is that old lady doing with the camera like that's all, but in my mind, there was this thing going on, but it was it was a moment for me that that, that was a moment of courage that nobody really was watching. I kind of created it somewhat for myself now that I look back. Um, and then I put it out on the Internet because everything you do now is really important for everyone to see. And But it was really important. Like it, I realized it was like this kind of cycling gift of somebody saying, no, you can't. Somebody going, please do. Um, Can you do it? Yeah. Like all of these people involved in that narrative, but for me along those moments, every time was just like a little moment of courage and saying, yes, okay, I'll do that next thing. Yes. I'll do that next thing. Yes. I'll do that next thing. Or you can't. Well, that's not right. I got a little bit of energy. I can put a little bit into that. Is it kind of all of those little moments for me that, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's one little scenario that, that I I go back to in my own narrative that says, well, how did I get here? Mm -hmm.
6: I think for me, my greatest fear is, is other people. Like I, I, not, <laughs> there's many ways you could take that, I guess, but I'm a people pleaser. Like I, I want to be liked by everyone and I want to be approved of by everyone. So for me, the act of courage was the coming out step because I knew that in doing that, I was going to piss somebody off, no matter, what I, no matter what my theology ended up being, no matter what my decision about whether to get married or whether to keep my job at the church I was working at. Um, somebody was going to be upset by that. I couldn't please everybody. So in a way, I think the coming out experience was a huge part of my like, journey of sanctification, to use a churchy word. You know, It was a part of helping me let go of this crutch of people-pleasing that I'd been using my whole life to, because I was afraid of what people thought. Um, And trying to say, no, like, that doesn't actually decide my salvation. That doesn't actually affect me. I need to be living from a more grounded place of this identity I have as a child of God. And um, so to be able to come out and say, I'm marrying Denise, and I can't work at my Baptist church anymore, and neither of us can. We were both pastors at the time. Um, That broke me a little bit. I mean, I still deal with people pleasing. I'm thinking about what all you think of me right now. <laughs> but, but I think it helps. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> so I think it just helped to break me out of that pattern of constantly doing what I thought everybody else thought I should be doing. Um, and it's, it is those tiny little decisions. It's that one little word you slip into a conversation because you're always coming out, right? It's choosing to talk about the fact that you're queer when you don't really have to. It's um, it's all those sort of heteronormative moments that you kind of step into and, and queer. And um, so it's these tiny little steps. But I think for me, um, one conversation for me that I was dreading was just talking to my parents about the fact that I wanted to get married. And I think I still claim that decision to have that conversation as a moment of probably the greatest courage I had I had to have like a meeting with my friend who was a life coach to get ready for that like practice and like get my all my siblings I was out to and they all knew it was coming and so just having that community around you that gives you the courage to actually have it and in the end my parents have been incredible they've been kind of like the unicorn Christian pastor parents who are are there for you and are, are supportive and that's given me a lot of courage to take forward into other conversations so yeah So Beth, picking up on your word
5: about um, little words. um, I I have a moment that I link a lot of my life to. Like one moment that happened 30 years ago this year. Mm -hmm. So it was when I'd been fired by the Canadian military. I'm going to be talking a lot more about that this afternoon. And I went to see a lawyer. And at one point he says to me, so you have a really good case. But you have to decide. Are you going to sue them or are you going to leave it? Is it yes or is it no? And I didn't even know what I was going to say. I really didn't. And I said, um, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, that was actually, I, and I said, but, but I mean, I, yes, but I'll do it anonymously, right? <laughs> Uh, So I didn't do it anonymously. I became very public about it. But it actually was a moment for me that I can track how that moment led to me being here. It changed my life. I'm so glad I said yes. And like along the way, of course, there were points when, you know, you have a lot of self-doubt But with 30 years of reflection, that tiny word of yes, and going for it, and like leaning in, and knowing I'd have to come out, and I couldn't do it anonymously, that actually led me here. Mm. I'm so glad I said yes. But it did take a bit of courage in the moment. I will say it did.
1: Can we give a round of applause to these fellows? Yeah. So I, I want to open up the floor for questions. I think a half hour, is that right? Roughly a half hour. Uh, so we can, we can fit a few in. Um, make sure you have the microphone. Uh, and, and let's go for it. I'll let you guys choose. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm just curious, because you know, you've all gone through painful things, um, how did you manage to show mercy and forgiveness to those who treated you horribly,
1: altered your life in such painful ways?
5: That, that's very, very hard. Um, and just acknowledging that, um, kind of, cause there's a lot of humanity issues <laughs> around, around kind of, um, showing mercy, um, but for me, it's like a super deliberate way of living that just says, as an eternal optimist, who someone, uh, I'm just someone who just has, has that good fortune to look. And then I think it's easier to be merciful in that, in that headspace. But I also really relate to people who can't show mercy because the pain's so deep. But I do hope that, uh, for people who have been wronged, that there's a moment that they can pivot. Apologies help in getting to a place of mercy, and I hope we can talk more about that power of, of that. But I think it does take a particular, uh, deliberate, uh, way of living to be merciful. Um, it's also really, it comes from a place of humility, I think, uh, and maybe seeing yourself and why you need to give mercy, uh. So, because maybe you hope that it'll also come back to you at some point too for for wrongs that you've committed. Um, So I actually find it a very compelling word, one that I would love to aspire to be way better at. Um, But showing it uh, is probably how you live as an optimist or live with optimism um, in significant parts of your life.
6: I think that is the question for the LGBT community. Like, I think, how do we forgive? And how do we not become that same kind of bitter and anger and, and you know, that same kind of oppressiveness that we have experienced ourselves? How do we not turn into that the way that um, we so often see happen in conflicts in the world? And I think it's a lifelong process. I think part of it is that time is is part of what heals. But I think it starts with realizing that the anger and the bitterness in me are actually, like... Me trying, I think the the quote that Anne Lamott says is that it's like trying to feed rat poison to myself and hoping that it's going to hurt the rat. (laughs) But it actually is only hurting me. Like, I'm the one that's suffering from this unforgiveness and this bitterness that I'm holding on to. So very practically saying, this is not a livable, long-term thing for me to live in. And then getting to the point where you can say with, I think it's Bishop, um, or Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who said, "I, I let go of my right to retaliate my right to do something to harm you back like that's the first step it's not just like I feel warm and fuzzy towards you it's just I'm not going to take revenge on you <laughs> I'm going to let God be the one that holds the justice and then to say where have I seen those same roots of the same things I see you doing to me in my own self like how can I actually realize that I'm capable of the same things humanly and that's a progression that I think sometimes can take a whole lifetime and then to be able to actually see a mirror in the person instead of somebody who's completely your enemy. Um, But that's, again, just this whole lifelong journey that I think we're all on in a way, and we have to help each other in that. That's something we can offer back to the people who have hurt us.
2: It's crazy that you asked that question, because today I actually just seen one of my attackers on my way here, because he's from my community, and I realized how much I forgave him. And it was just all because of how I like accepted and realized like I'm fine with myself and it wasn't my issue that I had. And it was because I forgave him the the fact that I could even walk past him. And I thought it was like, maybe it's a reminder of strength. Uh, Maybe it's like the creator of God, higher power reminding me how strong I am and just to keep walking forward.
4: All I want to do is synthesize what you guys have just said. I mean, for me, like I think of that mercy is a choice Um, and it's a practice. Um, There's a little bit of that in what you said, and this is kind of one reason why I keep coming back to, to work in faith communities, because I think we understand something about we don't necessarily always execute well, but in spiritual practice, at some point, we have to engage in what do we do with the turmoil that is within us. <laughs> Most of my rage is centered around some way that I've been wronged or some way that I'm wrong at myself or whatever. Those, those internal kind of spiritual practices that I do try and understand the way these energies work. Um, I've been wronged uh, by people, what, and going through the process of what happens next then. what is just, Ask myself these really challenging questions of what is justice. Will that justice make me feel better? How will I feel better? Like to go through that whole work, it's practice. And it's a choice to do that practice. And like I said, why I kind of want to go back to my faith communities is like we have in our traditions a long history of showing that we should be competent in this practice, and I do, I feel like that's a challenge of a religious community, regardless of the LGBTQ issue. I feel like that's a challenge facing our faith communities now, and I love seeing resurgence in Christian communities, opening up indigenous and other cultures. Like, Christians in America for a long time have not, like, you're a Christian, or you're going to hell. Like that's what it was. Like Catholics are not Christians to some Southern Baptist. I mean, that's how narrow this thing had gotten. And for me, my tradition had really forgotten the art of mercy and grace and spiritual living and what it meant to kind of go through the practice of what our faith has taught us. The practice of what these words in our sacred texts are telling us. What does that mean? And that's that to me is a reminder. Like that. Wow like mercy becomes really trite when you make it a religion. You're supposed to forgive. You've been wrong, therefore you forgive. Like that's, that's something that you can do, but that's not a spiritual practice. You don't know anything because you haven't learned how to do it. You haven't practiced the gift of mercy. If you have to repeat it over and over again, even when you don't, it's not muscle memory. When it's, feeling contrived it's the choice of being able, for me it's the choice of entering into that and that's not i've had a lot of uh, lgbtq people look at me very angry when i say that it's a choice and you have to decide whether or not you're going to give mercy or not um i think you do have to decide that's that's my, you can throw your darts at me if that's a problem, but think it's, it's something that it has to be practiced. And the more that you practice it, you start to realize how fragile it is. And when you practice mercy, you realize that the people who are angry at you and punishing you have, it's, they have incredible pain and anger and hurt that that's being sent to your direction that they don't even know they're sending it to everybody. And you got picked today. And those sound like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to make trite out of things that are really complicated, but I don't want to make mercy trite either. It is a deliberate thing that you have to do. And it's it's the challenge sometimes. We have to really look as an LGBTQ community. I, how much more do you want me to take, man? Like, Right? The part of us are going, how much more do I have to take? It's enough. You don't get to do this to me anymore. You have to... Those national days of apology. Australia had one with... um had lobbied for... I love that. I didn't realize that had happened here in Canada at all. Um, The aboriginal community in Australia had been lobbying for years to get the federal government to do a National Day of Apology. And it seemed like... And for the people who didn't understand it, um, it seemed like a joke for a long time. Like, all they want the prime minister to do is stand up and say you're sorry. And they didn't understand... like. After this, this whole thing happened, it, it did, it became kind of a space. If you weren't inside of it, it felt like it was just this exercise that you witnessed. But in the cup, two, three, four years after that it became a celebration of national apology instead of the celebration of not apologizing. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like that day became this, this thing. And I think the legacy of that is, A really interesting thing for us to think about it's like what in that moment of mercy am I going to begin to do am I going to celebrate the fact that I acted out of mercy here or I acted out of vengeance Mm -hmm. but the the choices of that practices of that are are really challenging I think but Mm -hmm. that's what I appreciate you guys saying there's you both were talking about like a moment where you had to kind of somewhat choose that space
2: well, it's about breaking chains too. Um, like it, being First Nations, like it was forced upon, like through the long line of history. Uh, my grandparents went to residential school. I was raised by them. My dad went there as well. Um, my grandparents put me in, like, Oh, you're going to do catechism. And I'm like, What is this? And I'm like, didn't even really know. I, I went to a school that was all First Nations. Like, and like, and they are like, Oh, all of a sudden you're doing this now and you're going to get baptized. And I was like, well, what what is this? And like, oh, you you have to do this. I did this. And then so I, I was kind of angry a while, but it's all about breaking chains too and accepting. And I thought I was going to burn when I walked into this church. I'm still sitting here. <laughs> but the, the fact that like it's because I'm not a bitter person, I'm not angry, um, I'm accepting. Like I didn't let those angry elders... That went through. Yeah, they went through a lot, and it is like I'm affected by it. But it's about accepting and changing and breaking these chains, and a lot of movement in the community. Like it's an honor for me to even be sitting here talking on this panel, and it's because of the acceptance of me, come, like accepting this to sit here. Is because I'm open minded. I have an open heart. I have open, like I always say, I'm free spirited. I'm not too spirited. I'm free spirited. <laughs> <laughs>
4: but you're not, you're not saying that that didn't make you angry, right? That no, those no. moments, right? No, no, So like, how, like, where, like, where's the stopping? Like, what I hear you saying is, it's a stopping of the reciprocation of it's it. It's
2: breaking the chain, like yeah. not sitting at home being that bitter person with yourself, whether if you don't want to come out, whether if you don't want to believe in religion. Like, it's you're the person that is making yourself that way. No one's putting that on you. It's your it's all becoming to my favorite word is acceptance. You'll hear me say that probably 30 times.
4: <laughs> I th- I think sometimes like the the misnomer that like mercy gets a bad rap though, right? Is that it means passivity and allowing something to continue to persist and that's not what you're saying like I don't hear any of us saying that it's the choice of like breaking that chain and sometimes breaking that chain is going no you don't get to do this anymore like it stops here but it also means like mercy is going I'm not going to make you pay for this like this is the this is I, I don't know like I'm curious about what anybody else thinks about that. Like, because uh, when I talk about mercy, sometimes I, often I get these charges of frustration of people confusing that with path, like even passivism, mm-hmm. the thinking that passivism means that it's okay that and tolerating a, pa- a bad behavior to persist. So I'm curious. I'd be really curious about like, in that vein of mercy, sorry. (laughs) I'm just, I'm really, no, I'm just really fascinated because it's, it's, mercy's just such a beautiful thing and I really do have like the most amount of hope in it. But then I'm also like really afraid that somebody's going to hit me when I talk about it.
1: And let's maybe let that question sit. Um, Because Greg is motioning to me like, get it back on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yes and
3: like. <laughs> uh, my question is more when you reveal your true identity and respect and accept who you are was it a turning point to make a step forward toward your fate
1: so that was a question of uh, when you came to accept your identity how that impacted them? Your connection to your faith. Yes, yeah.
3: It's my French. It's my French.
1: <laughs> so so kind of like did did interaction with faith change in accepting identity? Is that kind of the question? Okay. Before and after. Yeah.
2: Well when I came out I, I found that like culture was very important to me. So I had strong faith and strong religion, like I used it to help me get to where I am today. I, like I said, I give thanks every day and I started believing more and more. And all these things kept happening to me, like more conferences, gatherings, panels. And it's because I believed in my culture, the society and the creators bestowing these, these step and stones for me. So I kept, kept the faith. I kept believing in my culture and the religion. That I was growing up with, and and yeah, there's like Buddhism, there's culture, there's like there's a lot of different ways, but if you all come to it, it all comes together. The same thing is all the higher power. And when I came out, I really started. I didn't realize how much I started praying. I was praying all the time. I'm like, forgive me, like help me. I need strength. I need guidance. I need these things, these tools. And I I really do believe that it helped it helped me more and more to get stronger with where I am. Does anyone want to add something, or should we keep...
6: I don't think you can come out without your faith... with your faith remaining unchanged. Like, I think something's going to shift, whether it's... Like, one of my favorite stories is Jacob wrestling with the angel, and I think you, you emerge from that wrestling with God, sometimes with a limp, but usually with a blessing, usually with a name, usually with with some new way of seeing things. And so I think for me... When I work with when I work with generous space, I get to meet all these LGBT people who have come from faith backgrounds who usually have to deconstruct their faith in a pretty significant way. Like they have to take. Usually, it's like a Jenga tower. I think there's an there's an author named Mark Actemeyer who talks about our faith sometimes being like if you pull this one piece out, everything's going to fall over, and um and it's scary. I think there's that slippery slope thing. Like if I change this one piece of my theology, everything's going to be on the ground. But then you find that. Once it's all laid out there and it's all collapsed, you can actually start to build a better foundation piece by piece instead of taking the whole Jenga tower together that's kind of wobbly. So I think for me, it was about building a better foundation for my faith. And now it feels stronger. For other people, it's about building something new with those blocks. You know, it doesn't look a lot like it looked before. And we have a group in our generous space community of people who call themselves AAA, which is atheist, agnostic, and ambiguous <laughs> about their faith. And and they belong in our community, too. They're still trying to wrestle with what that means now. And, that, and that's a common part of the, the coming out experience is some people not being able to reconcile those things in the same way they could before. Um, But for others, they emerge with this stronger tower, this this thing that feels somehow more like they own it, like it's got life to it in a way that it didn't before because they've kind of stared down the barrel of that doubt and that that wrestling with the angel, whatever image you want to give to it.
1: Do we have time for one more?
3: Um... Well, I think we first talked about um, gifts coming from uh, our marginalization. But it got me, when we, you were talking about mercy and anger, how it got me thinking about um, Stonewall and how, in that sense, it was what I consider a moment of resisting evil. So I was wondering... Getting back to and um, my mind is also about what's happening south of the border is perhaps one gift that um, one gift that the community can give us is how do we resist evil in a constructive way that allows us to stand up for ourselves but not become the evil that we're resisting.
5: Uh- So having been fired once from my job, I'm going to say that I'm speaking for myself personally (laughs) Um, because I still work for the Canadian government. So again, these are personal views and personal remarks. What stuns me about what's happening even throughout the world is the the ephemeral nature of human rights and how much um, if we have in uh, our experience... Uh, as, as a movement, as the LGBTQ2SI uh, movement for equality. We've learned so much. We've been through the AIDS epidemic where we had to learn how to be activists. We've been through periods of time when we had no civil rights, no legal rights. We were being fired. We were being denied access, uh, At so many levels, we couldn't marry the person we loved. We have learned so much. We are an amazing community. We know how to seek justice, and we know how to get justice. There are leaders in this community that are unbelievably skilled, the best of the best, world class. And now is the time for action. Now is the time to protect rights that have been achieved. Rights can be stripped so quickly, so easily. Um, now is the time for personal acts of courage. Now is the time to say, we don't think that's the right way to go and to participate in democratic process to achieve that. There's, there's a huge tradition there and there's a religious tradition associated with that. I just feel so compelled and inspired by traditions of movements towards uh, civil rights. But it's because now... We're protecting some of the gains that have been won and hard won. So, all I'll say, I'm not going to deliberately comment on anything. But if you have a moment to participate, if you have a moment to lean in and tell somebody that's not acceptable to you, now's the time. Don't wait. And that's super Canadian. It's super American, right? So, I don't know. I find now's the time. Lean in.
1: Preach. That's <laughs> right. Are we needing to wrap up one more? Okay. Let's do, let's do another one. I have a question and I'm kind of cheating cuz I'm holding the mic. <laughs> but um have there been moments in in your life that you can associate with, say, spirit, God, higher power, the woo-woo that say, intervened or like revealed your gifts, or contributed in some way to your journey or where you are now. If that makes any sense.
2: <laughs> well, I fasted for some of my visions, and it was something that was done a long time ago and I was like oh my god Well, what am I going to do and and elder said to me well why don't you pray and earn your visions and see these things and and then she would always say don't share your visions though and I'm like well why am I even doing this and she says that's because it's for you my son and I'm like well what's for me and she's like the visions that you're asking for she's like you're asking for something aren't you and I said yes I am and then she's like well, put it out there in the universe and the creator the higher power, they will hear you, um, say, ask for strength, for guidance, for help, and certain things, like, a lot of stuff started being bestowed on me, because I kept liking it, I was and it kept happening more and more, because I kept seeing the fate with the culture and the religion that we practice.
4: Like... For me, music is a recurring theme, and I hate it because it seems so obvious. Um, but th- the story is long for me. Like, there are things, like, the reason why I say music is because it's the one thing in my life when I didn't want to listen to anything else that keeps me interested. It's the one thing that I will lean into when I don't want to do anything else. Like, uh, it's the willingness to practice something and do something when it's not actually fun. Strangely, you know, like I think everybody thinks music is fun all the time, and that they forget about the skill and the hours and the insanity of repeating eight bars over and over and over for four hours. My partner will tell you that I'm insane instead of not a talented person. <laughs> but music is a thing for me. Like through when I was a kid, I was ten years. I, I wrote about this in my book because I just I look back and I go, oh wow, when I was ten years old, I played recorder. This stupid, like who plays recorder? It's a little, <laughs> <laughs> hours and hours and hours on end. And it was, I, like, music is a gift for me to walk away and to think and contemplate for myself. It's meditative. It's useful to me in so many ways, but it's also not the only thing. It's, it's led to other things, but for me, that's the thing that I feel like, wow, I didn't, I didn't wake up one day and go, hey, I want to be a musician and turn, like, how did I turn out to be okay at it? Like yeah I practice a lot, but I, I, there are a lot of people who practice who are even like without practicing better than me. But it's a thing that that's there. And because I keep saying yes, I, it's it's weird. Sometimes it feels like the bait, like it feels like the thing that gets me to do something I wouldn't have done on my own. And on the other on the other side of it, it it invites me into a world that I didn't know existed. And advocacy is part of that. Like, I would have said my sexual orientation isn't something that I would ever, I was really, ever, really truly on its own interested in talking about. And I'm still kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I didn't wake up and want to have that gift. But what, what that one gift has taught me is that connecting to people, like to be able to say yes to something that is within you that has been given to you brings so much more fruit. Like, so I say, that's where I kind of go, ah, it's music a gift, I don't know. It's just the one recurring thing that has continued to be this wellspring of other lessons and has exposed me to op- other opportunities that I didn't know that I had other things to do. I don't know if that makes sense. Because at the end of the day, I'm going, music has nothing to do with why I'm here. <laughs> but strangely, it does. Like, eventually, like, as an old lady in a room, that's all I'm going to have is probably a rug, a bottle of scotch, and... A guitar, yeah. Of (laughs) course,
1: Jesus. I think this is probably time. Um, I give a huge round of applause to everyone. Thank you. A huge thank you to everyone at Spirit Pride for such an incredible weekend. Like, wasn't that panel amazing? Uh, and if you want to listen to my keynote, uh, it was released as a bonus episode this week, so that's there as well. Uh, Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram, at Pod, or you can tweet me directly, at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is produced with support from Natalie England, Christian Hayes, Tim Schrader, and over 70 other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help support chorology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to help support chorology is by leaving a rating or a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head over to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back
0: to you. And until next week, y'all, bye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.